don't let anybody, whether they're your significant other, your parents, your siblings, classmates, friends, other family, don't let anybody tell you that you're too girly to do something. Don't change who you want to be for something that would give you a better name. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies, It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Nishrat Ahmed is in the driver's seat today. Nishrat was recently accepted into the NASCAR Tech Program in North Carolina. She is currently pursuing her degree with a dream of becoming a race engineer. She started her automotive journey during her junior year of high school. Nishrat shares her experiences as a young woman of color in her culture pursuing a career in automotive and racing. Now let's hear about her journey. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Nashrat Ahmed on the line today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. I read about your story. I'm like, this is pretty fun, and this is pretty cool. And I thought, let's share your story, and let's just start out of the gate here. How old are you? I'm 18 years old. 18. And you recently got accepted where? I recently got accepted to NASCAR Tech in Mooresville, North Carolina. And I'll be going there in about 10 days. So podcast, you are featured in an article and then you're going to be heading down to school. Yep. Making some moves here. A lot of stuff happening in September. Super exciting. And, And not only that, but you're doing an apprenticeship right now as well. Yeah, I was actually just there this morning. And can you share where you're doing your apprenticeship? Yeah, of course. Uh, I am interning with Jay Shia at Madhouse Motors in Roxbury. And she basically just teaches me all about motorcycles and all about the automotive community and just about learning how to get myself out there. Awesome. Now, what I love to do is take a journey back. And you are only 18 years old, so we don't have to go too far back. Where did you get this bug from? (laughs) Was your mom or dad into any cars at all or automotive? My parents, they're very simple. No cars, no motorcycles in my family like that. Did you say no cars? Well, we we drive, of course, but it's not like a 
a thing where cars are the most important things in our lives. It's getting from point A to point B. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a simple, like any other person, an ordinary family car. That's what we did our whole lives. And then when I got my permit, I realized that I could drive and that would be my like source for freedom. So I tried my best to learn about cars just in case like I needed to fix something while I was driving, hypothetically. And I happened to enroll in the automotive class at my high school in my junior year, just for fun, just to like waste my time because I didn't really have any other classes that I needed to take. And then it just became something I looked forward to the whole day. It became something that I skipped some classes for. Um, and then it became something my parents also took note of when I got a lot of recommendations and letters from my teachers. Wow. I want to ask, and we talked a little bit about this, while you were in school, how were you received as it relates to your interest in the automotive? Oh, like in my automotive classes? Yeah. Um, at first, when I went in as a junior, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any understanding about the people that were teaching me, but they had a lot of high hopes for me, my teachers, because I happened to like recall information a lot quicker. And I already had some background information on driving. So I knew how like a car worked. I knew how to turn a car on. I knew how to park, all that stuff. And since I was upperclassmen compared to the rest of my classmates, I think that put me a step higher than them just because I knew a little bit more about the actual vehicle itself. A lot of my classmates maybe did not see me the same way because I, I was a girl and I was really small and frail, fragile, didn't know what I was doing. So I guess they saw me as just another classmate or just somebody that's like in the class, but not part of the class. I have to ask, the words that you used, frail and small and petite, do you feel that way now? No, I don't think I'm that way anymore. Partially because I do weightlifting as well. So like I feel like I've gotten a bit stronger. And also my car right now is just kind of like a part of me. And that car is not frail or fragile or weak. That car is very strong. And that kind of translates onto me now. And I feel very strong because of it. That's beautiful. Now, was it always easy for you in school? No, I had a lot of trouble um, dealing with, I guess, some misogynistic aspects of some classes and other classmates, not necessarily in my automotive class, but like outside when I would talk about me being in auto, I'd get a lot of remarks kind of like, what are you doing there? Or like, do you know what you're doing? Why are you doing that? That kind of stuff. I got a lot of that from extended family as well. And that kind of, that bugged me a lot actually, because I felt like I knew what I was doing and I felt like it was a great outlet for me. And I wanted to share that with everybody. But the way that they would respond when I talked about it made it seem like they didn't think that I belonged there. So for a while, I felt like I didn't belong there. And you'd mentioned not only like classmates, mm -hmm. but family members. Yes. It's very weird for a Bengali woman or girl, they saw me as a girl, to be working on cars and doing anything other than textbook work or computer work. And you had just mentioned your um, ethnicity and, and background. Mm -hmm. And educate me a little bit here, Nishrat. I'm not familiar uh, with the Bengali culture. Can you educate us a little bit around it? Yeah, I had this really tough 
journey with my ethnicity. It's actually kind of funny because when I was in my junior year, I did a podcast about this association called the Bengali Association of New England. And I basically broke down about how like misogynistic it was and how it felt for me to try to talk to like all the higher up men. I don't mean to cut you off. When you say higher up men, like, is it just age related when you say higher up men or is it? Oh, when I said higher up men, I meant the association was kind of like a presidency type of thing. So the men were all higher ups Mm -hmm. and the women were just their wives. So I would try my best to speak to the men. Almost like servant type? No, not servant. More like um, for the immigrants that are coming in and immigrants Uh that have been here, it's kind of like to get their voice out. And it's a really great association. Oh, no, no. I mean, um, the way the traditional culture views the relationship of man in the culture versus woman in the culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, they see women as just baby makers. Um, oh, you wow. need to get married. You definitely need to get married. That's the thing. You definitely need to be married to only multiply. Like In Bangladesh, there's no real future for women. And I say that in quotes because I know so many powerful Bengali women who've come here to America and who who've already been in America, who've made their lives amazing because they chose to go against that. What's the first uh, powerful woman that pops into your head? Um, One of my family friends, like she's doing something biomedically and it's amazing. And like, she is an alpha female and I love her for it. And I always, I always remind her like, you're amazing because of this. And she's also like a big part of the Bengali association thing. So seeing her there makes Mm -hmm. me feel a little bit better. Because it it makes me feel like there are a few more powerful women in the room. And even though we don't dominate over the men in the room, we we still exist. It's not just me. It's not just the hormonal teenager that's finding things incorrect. It's also other people. Sounds like you've been given messages around being a hormonal teenager. Yeah, all the time. Um, Whenever I point out something that's unfair, I usually get pushback saying, oh, you're a teenager, you're going to see it that way. Or you're American, so your view doesn't really matter. Because I do have an Americanized view. I say that also in quotes because um, people tend to take that and use it as a negative term um, just because I have different ideas than they do. How are you navigating that? Well, now I think I'm a lot better at it. Um, I think I'm better at having a conversation with an adult and I don't blow up as often. I try to see where they're coming from because they tend to come from a very historically like rooted point of view, which is why they're so misogynistic and negative and kind of homophobic. They're just kind of like, you know, that's that's the only thing they knew their whole life. Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm, I'm American and I was born and raised here, I know different things. And that's what I was trying to do for my podcast. I was trying to like throw out some ideas about how they could be supportive of other things. Can you share some of those ideas? Yeah, of course. Uh, a lot of my ideas were around supporting LGBTQ teens. And of course, I know that they weren't going to be open to any Bengali person being on that spectrum. But I I still like toss it out there and be like, you don't have to support everyone, but you have to be open to the idea of it being possible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I was talking in the room and I feel like that was the first time anyone ever heard the word lesbian or transgender in that room. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they're really closed off. They don't really talk about that kind of stuff. They don't think about that kind of stuff. They don't think it's a thing. Was there like a gasp or you could hear a pin drop? It was kind of like silence. And they were like, 
a couple of people knew what I was saying and they were looking at each other and a couple of people were completely lost. Did you have to explain it to him what it is? I did. I explained to him after. And then a couple of people came up to me later and they were like, you have some balls to say that. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I have the balls to say what's important and what's true. Nishrat, I'm, I'm going to toss an idea out there for you, sister. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're talking about like misogyny, right? Mm-hmm. This is just kind of a funny on the side. I'm a very logical thinker, right? Very logical. And I've often thought that's why I struggled with Santa Claus when I was little because I'm so logical. <laughs> you know, science and math, it's like that makes sense to me, right? right? I was never the writer. I was science and math. I can't help but go there, the expression of you have to have some balls. And I'm like sitting there thinking, like the way I interpret that expression is guts, strength, mm-hmm. durability, power. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he said it less than like a, in like an applauding way, more of like, like a you should be embarrassed for bringing that up way. And I did not feel embarrassed. I it was like a moment where I was like, no, I'm I feel great that I said that. I feel great that you think of me like that now because now next time you see me, you're gonna remember that every single time that I said that that I said the word lesbian. Way to be a disruptor. Uh, yes, that's what I am. Now. That's what it's all about. Funny rebuttal would have been like. No, I don't have balls. That is true. (laughs) I have ovaries and a vagina. And matter of fact, those are way stronger. (laughs) But I doubt he'd know what that is. I doubt he'd know what those are. We don't really do sex ed over there either. That's like taboo? Yeah, it's, it's it's very taboo. Oh my God, sex is taboo. Puberty. Honestly, the word puberty is very taboo too. Puberty? What, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny here. Like, what do when young girls start their period, like, do they not have conversations about that? It's just. No. Personally, I didn't have a conversation with my mom. And I was like, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to bleed at some point. But I. Did you learn from your friends? I learned from my sister, actually, because my sister had, had already done it with my mom. She was like, I'll just teach you. It'll save you the embarrassment. I was like, okay, cool. Your mom taught your sister then? Yes. When we say taught, just like explained that cold cut explanation of you're going to bleed once a month. Here are some pads. This is what you use. It's sticky on one side. You put it on your underwear. Done. There's no like talking that about That was the, the explanation? Emotions. That was the explanation. There's no talking about the emotions, um, the cramps. You know, if, if you have cramps, pop a pill, you'll be fine. That was the most of the conversation. Like That's it. It's interesting. And I'm always fascinated by different cultures. Mm-hmm. We don't embrace it. We don't embrace our women, which is which sucks. it like promotes shame around it. Like there's something to be shameful about it, right? Like when I I went into high school, like I knew it was normal, and I've I took my sex ed classes. And I knew girls had periods. Like I have nothing to be ashamed about. But that still like lingered in my head, and it lingers in many women's head. Many girls, women, I know it definitely does because yeah. it's just something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Like a lot of women are uncomfortable with their own periods. So that just kind of sucks. But of no fault of their of own. no fault of their own. But it's it starts with you. Like, you have to embrace the fact that, yeah, I bleed every month, and what? And I survive. I bleed and I survive. You bleed and I cry. I lose eggs and I survive. <laughs> I make babies. I push a baby out and I survive. Like, that's, that's not anything weak. That's my point. It goes back yeah. to that saying, you must have balls. 
I know that person was saying it in a condescending way, but it's like, really, if I did this, just flicked your balls, you would be on your knees. Like, exactly. We can squeeze watermelons out of something the size of a lemon and go back to work. <laughs> a- oh my God, exactly. Like, what you doing? <laughs> like, if I want to think about power and pain tolerance, I don't know. What do you think, Nishrat? <laughs> I think of the lady downstairs. Right? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, sister. So did you bump into – now, you're a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Did you experience any um, bullying at all throughout high school or middle school or anything? Yes. I had a lot of hard times with my skin color when I was in elementary and a little bit of middle school. A lot of my extended family also kind of weighed in on it because... Can I ask a clear... When you say extended family, did they also live in the States? Um, some of them do live in the States. Some of them were still in Bangladesh. Okay. They were like, we're all over the place. But a lot of them were like, you should be white, like your older sister. My older sister is very fair skinned. Mm-hmm. And so is my mom. Um, and my dad and my little brother are very dark skinned like me. And I'm a girl, so they didn't get anything for being dark-skinned, my, my father and my brother, because they're men. They can be dark-skinned. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But a woman like me cannot be dark-skinned for some odd reason because the skin I'm born with is not good enough, figuratively, not literally. I love my skin now, but back then, yeah, I used to use the bleach products that my family, my extended family, would give me and try to lighten my skin because I wanted to fit whatever beauty standard they wanted me to be in. And I, I truly believe that. I believe that I wanted to look whiter. I wanted to be, I wanted to be white. I wanted to be lighter. Um, and right now I'm kind of glad that that was part of my journey, like to me, just because I know now like this skin that I have is the one that I want and it, I love it. I love my skin as it is, but a part of me is also really embarrassed that I even like wanted to look differently when it comes to something that I can't control because it's my skin and I don't know it's I didn't want to change that I can't help right now I'm putting myself in your shoes and Mm I have extended family reaching out to me and giving me literally products around Mm -hmm. whitening my skin yes it's a very big thing in Bangladesh like they have companies that make millions it's given me the message that something's wrong with me how old were you when this when these products were given to you nine ten that's when like i started you know because you know we use face cream girls use face cream i use bleaching cream it's very very different but like very similar you know but that was my routine nine or ten years old nishrat yeah oh my god like what was going through your head then I want to be white. Like, like, what were you feeling? Oh, I was feeling torn. I was like, well, damn. Like, I know, I, am I supposed to like what God gave me or am I supposed to change it for, for who? And I was like, either they want me to change myself for a man or, like, them. But me, like, at that time, I thought, no, I do want to be white. I definitely want to be white. Like, I hated my skin really badly. And, and you said now you have fallen in love with your skin. Now, yeah, now it's like it's my skin. It's part of me. It, it's kind of like it's my thing. Like It's an asset. It's an asset to me now. That's right. And it's always been an asset. I just never yes. – I just always 
looked at it to be negative. Wow, that is powerful. You'd mentioned some bullying. Mm -hmm. What kind of things were said or done to you? Uh, A lot of stuff about like um, being the child of an immigrant, which at that time, I was at a different middle school or a different elementary school. And there was there weren't that many immigrant students. And we all tended to like flock together. Um, I would say it was like more like light making fun of rather than bullying, though. Because it, it didn't, like, harm me. It just mentally, like, messed with me. A lot of the stuff was about my name because, I mean, it says rat in it. Or just because I was small. Like, it was, like, little things. But I internalized them a lot. And for a while, I also hated my name. Sometimes it's still I still find it awkward to, like, have to introduce myself. Because then I'd have to, like, repeat my name, like, ten times. But... That's kind of my trademark also. I get it. I I really get it. I have to correct people's spelling often with mine. But then it gives you like a sense of uniqueness. Like you're the first person whose name is spelled like that. I'm the first person who has that name that they've met. Like it's. I remember hating it when I was younger, to be honest, because all my peers and my friends, you know, those little license plates you Mm -hmm. can get for your bike. Really? I was thought, I was thinking about like name tags. Name tags. When I was little, you could get these like little metal license plates that have your name on mm-hmm. it, and they're like a novelty thing you could get. Oh, I never yeah. got one. They never had one spelled like my name. Spelled like your name. They never had one with my name. They had one with my sister's name though. My sister had one. What's your sister's name? Her name is Sabrina. Very American, Sabrina. That is pretty American. H- yeah. How old's your sister? She is 20. Now, are you bilingual? Yeah, I can speak um, Bengali and English. Right on. I guess just kind of moving through this, if I'm picking up in your story, you caught the bug when you got your second car. Yes. Like, it sounded like you enjoyed your first car. What was your first car? My first car was an Acura ILX. I enjoyed learning about it. And I enjoyed, like, watching other people build their cars. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, like, I didn't know what they were doing, to be honest. Yeah. I couldn't do it to my car because it was was just, like, a mom car. But it was nice. It was a beautiful car. I loved it. Mm -hmm. But it just wasn't the kind of car that I personally would modify. Fair. But then you got a second car. Now I would because now I know what I'm doing. Definitely modify that. Go ahead and share with the listeners what your current car is. My current car is a 2007 Ford Mustang. Yeah, that's my baby. Right? You're having some fun with that one, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I just, not just, but like two months ago, I lowered her. Um, I call her a her because that she's just powerful. Share the name. It's an awesome name. Her name is Mufasa. And yes, she's a girl. And her name is Mufasa because she is the queen of the streets. I love it. And that's why I named her that. That's such a brilliant name. <laughs> Truly, it's such a brilliant Truly, name. I love Lion King and my lion queen over there parked outside. Uh, I just lowered her two inches, so she sits, like, really mean. Oh, oh way fun. Way fun. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. I was checking out um, some of the pictures after we had talked. <laughs> and I'm like, I got I to gotta go check out these pictures. And those are some sweet pictures, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the podcast that you had mentioned – Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that was in high school when you did that podcast. Yeah. It was a project where I made a podcast. Where you made a podcast. Yeah. And was that like a senior project? 
No, it was actually when I was in junior year. Junior year. It was a women's studies project. I'm sorry, which class? Women's studies. That's way cool. And then you presented it. Why did you choose what you chose to cover on that? Now, you you were – you chose LBGTQ. You chose Mm -hmm. uh, women. Mm -hmm. And then the Bengali Association. Yeah. And you kind of tied it all together. Why? Yeah. um, I wanted it to be something very personal to me, but like also like something that I had trouble with. I really had a lot of trouble with my ethnicity, my culture, my background, because I did not like to align myself with people who have beliefs as drastic as they do, which is why I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to push myself to do this. I'm going to go to these meetings, to these elections. I'm going to talk to these people, figure out what they're thinking, Mm -hmm. put myself out there and kind of just like make sure that they know that somebody else is thinking the opposite of what they're thinking so that they keep like they remember me. They remember my ideas and they remember that someone opposes them, which is very petty. But that's like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to cause a scene. That is part of being a disruptor. Exactly. And I loved it. I was like, holy shit, this is what I want to keep doing. So I am I did it multiple times. Then I just stopped going because I was like, I'm drained from all these men. No offense to any men, but I'm drained. I was tired. And what you just described is why there's communities like Femcan and Crouch. Because if you have to do it all alone... It's exhausting, isn't it? It's unbelievable because you feel like you're crazy. You feel like you're maybe you're making things up. And then you remember, you realize, no, what's crazy is what they're doing. What's crazy is what they're getting away with. That's right. That's what's crazy. I'm the fucking sanest one here. That, that's what I think. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And that took guts. That took ovaries to do that. It took ovaries, not balls. It took ovaries. Yes. That should be a new saying. I, I have a sticker, a Femcanic Garage really? sticker that I worked with a graphic designer to create. Um, that is a picture of a uterus and ovaries. And on it, it says, grow a pair. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stickers that um, I have paid a graphic designer to design. <laughs> That's literally, That's amazing. Yeah, you should go check it out. We'll we'll hook up after this. I'll I'll get your address and I'll send you one. How's that sound? I'll put that on my water bottle and walk around on campus. With yes, it. grow a pair. <laughs> grow it a is. pair, boys. Listen and learn. It's awesome. It made me chuckle, and I'm like, I'm totally making this bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> bad girl. Yeah. There you go. See, see how culture has trained us. Like we don't even think about oh, yeah. it. Yeah. No. Definitely. Right. Man, crazy. Anyway, you caught the bug. Mm-hmm. You have your Mustang now. Yes. You've already been a disruptor in a very conservative culture. Mm-hmm. Were your parents ever called or anything when you were doing that? Yeah. My parents were like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, well. And then I explained. They were like, okay, like fine. Because at this point, they already knew like I'm not going to be – a computer scientist or a doctor like I'm not doing the regular a regular person job like people always go for, not always but they usually go for that especially women in your culture is that what you're meaning yeah in my culture yeah and they've already gotten used to the fact that I'm not gonna do that mm-hmm. by that point um because I already knew like I already was doing really well in auto and I was like I'm gonna do auto again next year 
And they were they were bound to be okay with that because I was going to do it regardless. So they already knew, like, nothing we say is going to stop her from causing a scene. So just hang on for the ride. <laughs> nothing we say after is going to discipline her after she causes a scene. So, yeah, they were just hanging on for the ride. But I didn't say anything wrong. I didn't swear at anybody. I wasn't being rude. I was just being real. And maybe they thought I was stepping out of my lane because I am a, a little girl, in quotes, little girl, speaking at a men's thing, whatever that was. Did you ever feel unsafe in those situations? I did. I felt very unsafe. But I also know that if somebody put hands on me, I would fight because I'm no, you know, <laughs> was there ever any close encounters? Oh, there was a, um, this wasn't anything to do with me, but there was a fight between two of the parties, um, the election parties that were there mm-hmm. in the middle of it. And I was looking, I was like, damn, these men are stupid. Like, <laughs> like, like they're literally fighting like animals. And I was like, oh my God, this, it's not that deep of an election. There's another one next year. And the same two teams are going to run. So perspective, right? Perspective. Here you graduated. Mm -hmm. How did you get into your apprenticeship? If you were to coach people Mm -hmm. and other women and young girls how to obtain an apprenticeship, how did you go about doing that? Um, So I worked with mayors in the summer, last summer. And And what is that? Mayors program is, oh, oh, you're not in Massachusetts. Okay. I am not. (laughs) I keep forgetting. Mayor's Summer Youth Employment Program is this program in Cambridge and Boston area that employs teenagers and high school students for the summer and they like work and they get paid and there's several different assignments you can go to and mine that year happened to be this place in Central Square which is right by my house and it's a very like community-oriented place and I worked with this lady named Nina Berg, who I also just had lunch with a couple days ago. Um, we just like talked about like my love for cars. And she was like, you should you should talk to this lady, Jay. She's like really, really cool. She does motorcycle stuff. She's cool. We traded Instagrams and then I went to go see her shop. And then like I think immediately she put me like to work just because like she was in the middle of like moving shops. And Jay said something that like kind of stayed with me. She said that now just just to keep the listeners yeah. up, Jay is who again? Jay Shia is the owner of Madhouse Motors. She's okay. also a woman. Gotcha. Keep going. She said something that kind of like opened my eyes. She said that when you start in any industry, you need to start from like the bottom. Like you need to start cleaning and like you know doing grunt work before you can really start like building a bike. And that's what she had me do. And I I actually really enjoyed all of it because a lot of my life I've just been like at home and I, I didn't get to like do fun stuff, like be in a shop. Like I love being in a shop. Nishrat, I'm going to pause you for one second. Yeah. What you just said is so powerful, but yet so simple. And I think we all forget what you just described is proximity, mm-hmm. right? The love for being in a shop. You just said, you know, hey, it was cool cleaning there. Because I was just in the shop. Not only were you just in the shop, you were in the shop with a powerful, successful woman. And that's proximity, my friend. Put yourself in proximity of people that you admire and that are at a different level than you. Because even if they're not having you work directly with them, by being in proximity with them, 
you get to catch things. And I always tell people more is caught than taught, right? Yeah, you, you learn about them. You caught a ton from her just by being near her. For one day, I just like, I learned a lot. And I was like, holy shit, like, I got to come back. Like, I need her to pick me to be her intern right now. So, like, I was going to say, like, to other women who are looking for internships, go visit a shop, talk to the owner, hang out at the shop, soak it in. Because I also did that at another shop, AVI Boston, which is a shop that Jay actually sent me to on an errand for my future. And I, like, kind of just stood and, like, talked to the people who were working there. I was like, wow, that's learning about, like, what they did. That kind of stuff also, like, helped me understand about a subject that I was going to learn about. So, yeah, that, like, really helped me. Learn about the position you were. Mm -hmm. Get information. Also, like, talk to an adult about this. It was good experience. When you say talk to an adult, just learning to talk to managers and, mm -hmm. like, figure out the professional speak. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Gotcha. And asking a lot of questions because they love talking about what they do. Of course, they're going to love talking about what they do. So, like, when I asked the guys at AVI a lot of stuff, they answered and I understood and it was amazing because in school, if I asked a question and a teacher would respond, I never understood because like, I don't understand calculus, but I understand cars. So it was nice to finally understand something that an adult was telling me. Are you a very tactile learner? Is that like hands-on? Yep. Very hands-on. That is me. I can't learn off a textbook. I can't learn. I can barely learn online, but when I'm in front of something and I'm messing around with something, that's why I love being at the shop. I was there and I was... Even though I was sweeping, I was watching. I was looking at how they did things. I'm going to miss that so much. I have a feeling from the experience, it's, it seems like maybe if you happen to come home for the summer, you might might be able to kick some rocks over there. <laughs> I really I really am going to. Like if I come back for the summer, I'm going to spend like my whole summer there. Because it's like they're like family and like you just I need to be with them. What was probably the most impactful thing that you learned there? Um, it actually had nothing to do about bikes or anything. It was more just like the fact that I had a good adult in my life. And define good adult. What do you mean by that? Jay. Jay is an amazing adult. Like, she has my back through everything. I'm so grateful for her. Because for a while, I felt like I had nobody. And then all of a sudden, like, Jay comes up. She could have totally not been the adult in my life. She could have, like, just, like, said, no, I don't need an intern right now. But she said she said she needed an intern. And then she just kind of became like my mother. And um, she takes care of me. She watches out for me. She gives me advice on everything. Because she's gone through a lot of the stuff I'm going to go through. And I'm been, I've been going through. And so she knows things. And she kind of just like kind of tilts me into the right direction. She doesn't push me in the direction. She tilts my head a little bit. So I know that this way is the right way. Beautifully put. And you've been doing that all summer then. You were working with them, right? Mm -hmm. And then in 10 days, you leave and yep. you start a new chapter in your life. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? What was that process like? You had to apply. Mm -hmm. Application process was like really easy and simple. Like I just wrote my name and my email and like they contacted me and then we just kind of like had a, a couple meetings, sort of like... um kind of like a show and tell of their school. Mm -hmm. And then came like the actual application process and FAFSA and scholarships. 
But after like I got accepted to the NASCAR program, I was like, hold on, wait, that's happening. NASCAR, that's happening. And I was, I still can't really believe it. I did that. Oh my God. How long is that program? It's 69 weeks long. And I mean, when you say a NASCAR program, people automatically think, oh, okay, NASCAR. But what does that really mean? What do you want to pursue? What do I want to do with my life? I want to be a race engineer. I want to be the one that builds the engine, that tunes the engine, that like puts everything together and then puts it in the car, watches it go on the track and watches it eat the other cars on the track. That's what I want to do. Uh, Like I want to be in the pit. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so excited like to be around race cars again, like again with like the whole like being in the shop, being in the school, being around the cars. I'm so excited for that. I, I don't blame you. That is the next chapter in your life and it's right around the corner. And I think this is a good time to launch into the red line round. And what the red line round is, is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Who or what has been your inspiration during your journey in the industry so far? Oh, Jay. Jay Shia. A hundred percent. What do you respect the most about her or admire the most? Her work ethic her work ethic. She's always working. She's always, you see her, she's always busy bustling around doing something, but she always has time for you as well. Like if she sees you, she'll say hi. And then she'll say, I got to run. I got to do something. She'll go do her thing. But always takes the time for you. It's the little things, isn't it? Yeah. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck? When I get stuck, I usually go to the gym. But when I need advice or resources, I actually reach out to a couple of clubs. Um, uh, there are a lot of clubs here in Massachusetts, like car clubs. So I reach out to like some people I know there and see like how they're doing, you know, if they have like a picture of a car for me to feel better or like if they can figure out what's going on with this car I'm looking at. Or I just go to Jay and I bother her at her shop. <laughs> right on. What excites you most about what you do, Nishrat, or what you have done over the summer? everything like it's art like this machine i'm responsible for the machine everything that's going to happen to the machine is comes from my hands my hands are going to be on the machine messing with it like face to face and i find that really beautiful like i find that the art comes out of my hands onto the the machine onto itself i think it's i think it's just beautiful <laughs> like there's no simple way to put so it so well put my friend so well put <laughs> thank you I tried. What's a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? Personal habit. I never feel unsupported. I got to put that out there. I never feel unsupported. It's amazing. But when I feel stuck, I tend to like go to YouTube and just like drown myself in like whatever car videos there are specifically like cars doing donuts cars doing crazy things um i do a lot of driving myself a lot of very safe driving sometimes not safe driving (laughs) with parental supervision my habit is to drive like i love driving fast i do that a lot under safe conditions don't i don't speed when it rains 
you know, no kids around, but like being in the driver's seat is like my thing. Have you ever thought about like being the race car driver? I would love to, but honestly, those, the kids my age, like they started training when they were like 13 and they got a lot of money and backup, you know, like they got a lot of sponsorships that they paid for type of stuff. Like I, I'm just a little girl, not so little girl, but like with like not very much financial support to start a race team. Well, maybe it's not starting a race team. To join one? I don't know. But one day, maybe. But I feel like they also have to, like, if I'm joining a race team, I feel like I'm going to be really picky. Because if they're really, if they're really gross, not like, I don't mean gross, like physically gross. I mean, like, people, they act gross. If they act gross, I'm not doing it. Because I don't want to be uncomfortable in a race car, in a literal flying death trap. Like, no. I want to race on my own conditions. Yeah. So one day I'll make my own race team. There you go. Make my own race team. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades and motorsports industry? Don't let anybody, whether they're your significant other, your parents, your siblings, classmates, friends, other family, don't let anybody tell you that you're too girly to do something. Don't let anybody tell you that you're too frail or fragile or small. Um, Don't let anybody tell you that you have man hands or that your hands should not be working on a bike or a car. Um, Don't change who you are. Don't change who you want to be for something that would give you a better name. For example, don't be a lawyer if what you really want to do is drive a race car. Don't be a lawyer if what you really want to do is plumb. Like, if you want to be a plumber, go be a plumber. Go be a damn plumber. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) I feel you, sister. And I think that's very sound advice. Where and how can people connect with you? Oh, on my Instagram. N-U-S-H-R-A-T-A-H. Nushrat-Ah. That's my Instagram. I guess my Snapchat, too. That's also my Facebook. No, like all three are the same. Gotcha. And if uh, young girls or women... Have any questions they can reach out to you? Yes, of course. Awesome. Nishrat, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your journey so far in this industry. I always have a blast interviewing girls and young women because it's so early in your career to be able to watch, watch you grow throughout your career. And there'll be a point in time where you look back and maybe we meet in person someday. Hopefully we do because this is this was an amazing experience for me. And thank you so much. Absolutely. It would be my honor. And we look back 10 years from now. You're like, oh my God, Jamie, do you remember when I was 18 and you interviewed me? Whew. I'm going to get emotional right now. Because be- <laughs> and you look back with all that new life experience. It'll be amazing. It will. Oh my god, we should do another podcast in ten years. Hey, <laughs> see how much it, has changed. Absolutely, I am game if you're I game. Am game. And it has been an absolute honor having you on here, Nashrod. And you know what? Anytime, anytime that you get in one of those moments, and this goes out to all women, we are here for each other to help lift each other up. Because there's going to be moments where you doubt yourself happens throughout your entire life 
That's what this community is all about. And we got your back. So go kick some ass there, girl. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. It was my honor and my pleasure. I'm Nushrat Ahmed. I'm going to be a student at NASCAR Tech, and I'm a femcanic. Rachel James is in the driver's seat next. She came from a blue-collar family and grew up around cars and planes her whole life. She attended vocational school and went on to ECAT for aviation maintenance. She decided to focus on automotive and was a tech for multiple years. She was then approached by a PBG distributor and landed a role as a territory manager. Rachel made another career change three years ago. She opened her own practice for financial planning. Be sure to tune in next week for this wild ride. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?